The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. What really happened to TWA Flight 800? The flight that mysteriously exploded and crashed into the Atlantic shortly after takeoff from JFK Airport on July 17, 1986, killing all 230 people aboard. While initial reports suggested a terrorist attack, FBI and NTSB investigators later blamed a fuel tank explosion. But experts and skeptics have long questioned the official story, and new evidence has surfaced that suggests a widespread cover-up of the truth. Tonight's special guest reveals shocking new evidence about what really caused the crash and who was responsible for the massive cover-up that followed. He introduces new documents and testimonies that reveal the true chain of events, from the disastrous crash to the high-level decision to create a cover story and the attempts to silence anyone who dares speak the truth, to save the face of the Clinton administration before the November elections. Clinton cronies in the FBI, the CIA, the NTSB, and the media soon became involved. We'll discuss how the FBI fabricated, twisted, and ignored dozens of eyewitness testimonies. Why the CIA's absurd Zoom-climb theory contradicts the facts. What happened to video footage of the plane's destruction? The real story behind the bomb-sniffing dog training exercise that supposedly left traces of explosives on the plane. Why TWA Flight 800 was likely hit by at least one missile. And what was the probable source? Conspiracy theories have been around since the crash, but those theories don't take into account the new evidence provided by tonight's special guest. Tracking down dozens of witness testimonies and relentlessly sifting through evidence buried in government paper trails. He looks squarely at all the possibilities. He dismantles the official version of what happened on that tragic July night and takes a look at who is to blame for hiding the truth and why they did. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Jack Cashel has a PhD from Purdue University and is a weekly contributor to the WorldNet Daily website. An executive editor of Ingram's magazine, Cashel has written for Fortune, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and The Weekly Standard. And directly from Kansas City, Missouri, I'd like to welcome Dr. Jack Cashel. Hello, Dr. Cashel, and welcome to Veritas. Hey, Mel. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. It is my pleasure. And may I call you Jack? Yes, you may. Well, before we begin, and for the record, you may have heard me say, folks, that I lived in Asia for a little while in the mid-90s. Well, July 17, 1996, and the explosion of TWF Flight 800 made a huge impact on me because the next day, 
I believe it was Thursday, July the 18th, I left San Francisco to Hong Kong and Singapore, and I didn't know what really happened to TW-800. So at first I thought it was a terrorist attack. So obviously that concerned me since I was to leave the day after. So I've been following this story for years, and I'm so privileged to have you on to discuss it. But Jack, how did you first become interested in the crash of TW-800 and the subsequent investigation? Uh, not uh, intentionally. And uh, about uh, it was probably about four years after the crash. A part of it is living in Kansas City, which is the uh, historic home of TWA. So there are uh, literally hundreds of former TWA employees still living in the area. At the time, in fact, in 1960, TWA overhaul base was still here. They had moved the headquarters to St. Louis. But um, so I attended an event uh, held by this uh, political club to which I belong, uh, which featured James Sanders and his wife, Elizabeth. They had been, James uh, had been uh, like the first uh, investigator on the scene, the first journalistic investigator on the scene. And he had already written a book on on the the incident called The Downing of TWA 800. And he had come to the conclusion uh, through his sources inside the investigation that the plane, in fact, had been shot down as a result of a naval misfire. At that time, in the year 2000, this was still a wild conspiracy theory, you know, beyond the fringe. And uh, yet when I went to the uh, event, I had, had overlooked the fact that, you know, TWA was based here. So there are like literally hundreds of people there, virtually all of them TWA people. And they were totally on board um, with what Sanders was saying. And we went to dinner afterwards since I was on the board of this uh, club. And I ended up sitting next to James's wife, Elizabeth, who had been a trainer for TWA and a flight attendant. And she's really sweet, pretty Filipino-American. And when I heard her story, uh, and that she too, she and James had both been arrested on conspiracy charges and convicted in a federal court um, for Jim's reporting on this. Uh, and they were still on probation uh, when, when, when I met them. I, it, it dawned on me that this story may be bigger than I anticipated and more real. Uh, they don't go to those kind of lengths to silence just anyone. They usually silence people who know the truth, not the people who don't. And that's how I got involved. That's right. That's what he said. Follow the money. They're all angry. You know, the question was why? Uh, and people tend to say follow the money, money. And yet there is always that element, but it's never fully explanatory or rarely fully explanatory. It doesn't explain all of the, you know, all behaviors, just some behaviors. But from the TWA perspective, they believed that the employees believed that it was the death of their airline and it cost them you know, not only uh, the loss of 53 of their co-workers who were on that plane, it was deadheading, many of them were deadheading back to Paris, but uh, it also cost them, you know, their pensions, their livelihoods, you know, their futures. So they were angry. Uh, but after the next morning, I, I went to breakfast with uh, the Sanders, Jim and Elizabeth. And uh, I, at the time I was making documentaries and I asked them if anyone had ever made a documentary about TWA Flight 800 and no one had. So we got to talking about it. And Mel, I said to them, uh, you know, I'm not interested in doing a documentary if, if, the, if the bottom line is, you know, this might have, could have happened. You know, I think that blah, blah, blah. I said, unless this, unless your theory is, you can prove this theory to me beyond reasonable doubt, I don't want to do it. But if you can prove it, 
then I'm I'm all in. So they invited me down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, where they were they're then living, and uh, I went down. But before going down, I read the two mainstream books that had been already written about TWA Andrew. One was by Patricia Milton, the AP reporter, and the other one was by uh, the uh, Negroni, Christine Negroni, who is the reporter for CNN. And they both made the very convincing case, the government case. I won't say very convincing, but the plausible case that this was a, uh, you know, mechanical failure, that people thought it originally was about terrorists, but it wasn't. And now it's all been put to bed and, and only the only people who would insist otherwise were conspiracy theorists. So that's when I became a conspiracy theorist. Actually, I became a conspiracy theorist after spending three days with the Sanders and going over Jim's material, which included all the eyewitness statements, which the reporters, uh, mainstream reporters, had not even bothered to talk about, other than to dismiss, like, oh, it's a handful of kooks out there who thought they saw something. Well, not exactly. Uh, the FBI interviewed 758 people who thought they who saw some element of the explosion. 256 of them saw an object ascending. Uh, towards the uh, plane, and I believe it was 96 of them traced that object from the horizon. And the object they traced, the descriptions they gave, uh, uh, paralleled the very descriptions you would give for a missile attacking an airliner, you know. And since this uh, took place in 1996, at which time only about 12% of Americans were on the internet, uh, it didn't have the kind of traction locally. It might have had just a couple of years later. So the people who saw the missiles uh, thought they were, you know, maybe the only ones who had or just one of a handful of had. And they, you know, tended to doubt themselves, except for the people who really saw it very well and never doubted themselves. Do you think the government could have covered up this event today as they did in 1996 with the of no, uh, the story the, the story would have been they would have been busted in a day, especially now with uh, Elon Musk on Twitter. But <laughs> it's exactly the kind of story that the Twitter of two months ago would have shut down. But you, I, to, I became one at that time. You uh, used all to, I had to do is check my Wikipedia page to learn I'm a conspiracy theorist. You know, you used to rain on the paranoid parade of others. What made you change? <laughs> I did that. You're quoting me there. <laughs> I am. So, what made you change then? Uh, it, what made me change was that uh, the Sanders convinced me that they were right, that this was, in fact, a, uh, um, a shoot-down of a uh, TWA-800. It wasn't a mechanical failure. The, the evidence for a mechanical failure was non-existent. There was none. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, when you have a – and I, I've talked to people about this because we all like to read conspiracies now and to add just about everything, but – to, for a plausible one, I mean, for one that you're going to have confidence in, one that you're going to write a book around, all evidence has to point in the same direction. You can't just have a series of of um, of improbabilities. You know, I, I hear this with TWA Flight 800 a lot, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, the, some scientist, that, uh, I'm sorry, not TWA, yeah, September 11th, a uh, scientist, an engineer at Brigham Young University said, blah, 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 blah. Well, that may be so, but you're asking us to deny the things we saw, you know. Millions of people saw, I mean, thousands of people saw up close, including my daughter. 
Others of us saw on TV, seeing planes crash into a building. You can't just dismiss that evidence. All evidence has to point in the same direction. So and with TW800, it did. The more, the more I got into it, the deeper I got into it, the more convinced I was that they were, the Sanders were right. Now, initially, when we made our documentary Silence in 2001, I didn't want to believe that it was the Navy that did it. I, would, I was much more comfortable thinking it was a terrorist uh, incident that the Navy either tried to thwart or that uh, was, took place independent of the Navy. Because the evidence, I was, just, I was in a state of uh, confirmation bias, and I just didn't want to believe that. So Jim, I think, uh, obliged me when we made the documentary, and we just left it at a missile hit the airplane. Plus, there were some serious people within the, the naval establishment who were willing to go forward, but they did not want to go forward with uh, naval misfire. Later, later, I'd like to bring up someone. I saw a video years ago, apparently a retired sailor, but I'll, I'll mention that later. There were more than 700 witnesses to the crash and its aftermath, but there were some who refused to be interviewed by the FBI, which means there were many more. Why did they refuse to cooperate? You know, they, uh, they may have been um, ahead of their time in terms of distrusting the FBI, but they didn't want to get dragged in. And probably the clearest case is a woman named, uh, who's, I know her name, I'm not going to say it. That was her, she goes by witness number 73. That was her official FBI number. No one saw things more clearly than she did. You have to remember, this, was at a, this took place at 8.30 on a summer night, midsummer night. Uh, right off the coast of uh, Long Island, which is a total beach from one end to the other. And, you know, there's like literally millions of people who live there. Thousands would have been out, you know, hundreds of thousands looking at the skies or out on their deck or, you know, on the beach, whatever. And But the one woman, Witness 73, was particularly good because she was a, uh, a travel professional. She was used to, she was pretty knowledgeable about aviation. And she did what the CIA said no one did, and that is she saw the plane and the missile independent of each other. So she was looking at TW-800, and she knew enough to know that it was flying lower than she would have anticipated it to be at, uh, at that stage, at that point from New York City. So they're, you know, they're 12 minutes out of JFK. And uh, the re- there was a reason. She was actually right, because another plane was crossing overhead in a they kept the altitude lower than normal, which unfortunately led to TWA 800's demise. It was at about 13,000 feet. And then she sees the, uh, the other object ascend from the horizon. And she describes it to the FBI a day or two later, just as anyone would describe a missile, you know, uh, flaming red tip, smoky contrail, zigzagging, correcting. She used a phrase that corrected like an upside down Nike. Nike, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then it hits the right wing. And then she describes, or hits around, it could have been a, you know, outside or beyond the right wing, but in that vicinity, it didn't need to actually hit the plane. Uh, and uh, so then uh, she also described the breakup sequence of the plane in uh, perfect detail before the NTSB or FBI knew what it was because they had yet to, you know, map out the debris field. So she tells the FBI this, and her uh, fiancé was furious uh, when he heard that she had, he wasn't there. She was there with his, the fiancé's, I believe, sibling and or friends, and uh, 
they were adamant. They didn't want to talk. They were appalled that she would talk. Uh, but she went ahead and did it anyhow. And um, then sometimes later, here's where the story gets interesting in her case. I mean, she's probably one of the 10 or 20 best eyewitnesses. But um, many years later, in 2009, this is after our documentary came out and after our first book, First Strike, came out, I get a call from her out of the blue. And she goes, Jack, uh, uh, this is a uh, TWA 800 witness number 73. Do you know who I am? I said, upside down, Nike Arc, <laughs> Nike swoosh. Yeah, right. She goes, that's it, right? You got it. I said, oh, no, I've been followed your case well. And she goes, I wanted to tell you about the second interview uh, that the NTSB, the CIA listed and the FBI listed in their uh, interview accounts. And in the second interview, which took place several months after the initial one, the FBI uh, reportedly, and this is on an FBI 302, it's written up, uh, went back to visit with her. And she told them this time that, yeah, okay, she had been drinking. She had had several Long Island iced teas, which is a, a drink unique to Long Island, I guess. And that um, maybe she didn't see it quite the way she saw it. Maybe she just thought she saw it. and. Maybe it would kind of look something like this. And yeah, maybe it was that that plane in crippled flight imitating the, the missile uh, trajectory. And so I said to her when she called, I said, yeah, and tell me why you changed. Um, you were so precise the first time. Why did you change uh, your testimony the second time the FBI came? And she said, well, there's some there's a story there. And I said, tell me. She goes, well, first of all, she goes, I don't know what a Long Island iced tea is, right? <laughs> she doesn't drink. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. She, I said, you sure it wasn't some kind of drink? She goes, I don't drink at all. I would remember that, you know? And then she finally dropped the bombshell. She goes, there was no second interview. And then I told her, you're not the only one they did this to. They made up interviews out of whole cloth for at least four people, probably the four best eyewitnesses. You know, when the actual interview did not conform to the, uh, the, the theory that the CIA slash FBI was peddling. They simply went back in and made up new interviews. No, there was another twist on this. Uh, and uh, I got it. You know, when, when my book came out in 2016, TWA 800th Crash, Cover Up the Conspiracy, which is actually they're putting out in paperback this summer. Um, I, saw, I got some calls, interesting calls. One I got was an Ottoman anonymous. One I got was a guy from Raytheon. And Raytheon uh, guy said to me, you really need to talk to the head of the FBI missile team. Now, I was aware of the head of the FBI missile team. I didn't know him by name. But uh, I said, uh, I said, I'm, I, what's his name? He goes, you talk about him in the very first in the opening of your book. He's not, I'll tell you his name right now. He's, you know, he wanted to stay quiet, but he's, I think we're reaching the point where uh, he has an obligation to come forward. His name is Steve Bongard. And uh, he was listed as the one of the two FBI agents who interviewed this uh, woman, number 73, the second time. Except he didn't. Bongard was a straight shooter. He was the head of the FBI missile team. As we learned, as I learned from reading the CIA documents, which we unearthed, uh, Within a week or two, two weeks of the crash, he reported to his superiors that they had interviewed 144 excellent, their word, 
eyewitnesses to a missile attack on the airline. The CIA... Um, Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.